Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, welcome listeners to your audiobook Wednesday, and I'm your host, The Tale Teller. I'll be sharing with you the ongoing series of The Stone in the Stream by Fee Stringer. This time we follow Zoe in the asylum, her challenges and discussions with Dr. Reed, the introduction of the archaeologist Dr. Roach, and the journey onto learning more about what Zoe is experiencing. Join me listeners for today's tale, and if you have a couple of seconds spare, leave an iTunes review and swing on by my Patreon, where every dollar we do helps. Now turn the lights off, the sound up, and join me for a unique tale indeed. Chapter 7. Who was paying attention? Zoe was in her restraints now, and had been for quite some time. There was a certain level of acceptance that she had to face when her unrestrained time was so minimal. The geometry language had attempted to visit her about two more times in the last month, but she had not been as receptive to it because of her emotional state and her quite hazy quality due to the drugs in her system. Days and nights were blurring in and out, at a pace she was hardly aware of. The only thing that penetrated the chemical barrier were the occasional words of Dr. Reed and certain kinds of sunlight through the windows. Zoe, I am not sure how we would register you getting better or not. He said to her, What I mean is, this problem that you are having, with you hurting yourself, is very unique. Zoe replied flatly, So you are saying other people don't hurt themselves? Dr. Reed had been expecting that response and continued on without hesitation. Of course they do, but not in the way you did, and not under such dramatic circumstances. By dramatic, you mean unbelievable, right? She asked with a smirk. Frankly, yes, Zoe. What happened was unbelievable. And what you described even more so, but this is not a surprise to you, I am sure. Going to tell me how smart I am again, Doctor? She asked with sarcasm mixed with pain. She knew that Dr. Reed was a good man, but she was also beginning to grow weary of the reassurances about how different she was. Because I really don't care if I'm smart or not these days. There was a longer silence than usual before Dr. Reed spoke again. Zoe, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind getting another perspective on all this. The way he asked the question illustrated how nervous he was. Another doctor? She said with a smirk. No, he said quickly and then furrowed his brow. Well, actually, yes, but not a medical doctor. He paused for a moment again and looked to the door to the room his mannerism suggesting that he might have been apprehensive due to a concern about someone listening in. He is a friend of mine, actually. A doctor in archaeology, specializing in, uh... He bent in almost a whisper. Ancient languages. Chapter 8, Dr. Roach It was the next week. The clouds that Zoe could see outside of the window had remained in overcast grey during the day, shifting to a sick chocolate milk-light brown at night. There had been no wind, and no rain. 
and yet as far as the eye could see, everything was damp nonetheless. Still foggy, and still under intense observation, however, Zoe was no longer physically restrained. She drifted into the office of Dr. Reed, escorted by two large orderlies. Dr. Reed had an office that one would think an old professor at a boarding school would have, having clearly made an attempt to make it look as little like an institution as he could. There was carpet and bookshelves in the small space, and a large wooden desk as well that, combined, created an atmosphere closer to that of a library. Zoe knew very quickly that Dr. Reed had been through a lot of yelling to make this session or meeting. He was tired and had stress on his face, mixed with another emotion that she could only read as regret, or perhaps the fear of regret. It was almost militaristic the way that the orderlies left without a word. She almost expected them to salute. Zoe, Dr. Reed said softly, This is Dr. Roach. I mentioned him last week. A figure that Zoe had not seen upon entering the room stepped from in front of the curtains. The light in the room had kept him hidden in silhouette until that moment. He knew my roommate in college, and I shared some of your... Once again, Dr. Reed was at a loss for words. Writings with him. He looked down at the desk for a moment. Which I know that I shouldn't have. At least, I should have asked you. That was it then. Dr. Reed had been burned by his superiors for breaking confidentiality and bringing an outside party in behind. Not only Zoe's, but most likely the rest of the institution's back. Zoe had no feeling one way or another about this at the moment, as she was busy meeting this new person, and through the haze of her medication, it was all she could concentrate on right now. Dr. Roach looked like a contradiction, a strange combination of social awkwardness combined with absolute confidence that coexisted in his demeanour without issue. Hello, Mrs. Bauman, he said, offering his hand. He had thick rimmed glasses and sweater vests. His shoes were black and possibly were boots. He had a very thick metal watch on the hand that was not extended to her. His head was shaved bald, and despite the sweater vests and antiquated appearance of the rest of his clothing, above his collar, she noticed the unmistakable ink of tattoos that was still managing to reach above his neckline. His face was clearly a past playground of various piercings and other body modifications. His voice was deep, but also had a timid quality that suggested a certain level of social awkwardness. You can call me Zoe, she said as she took his hand. Chances are, I will know who you were talking about then, she said with a small smile. She was unsure whether or not to trust anyone or anything these days, and Dr. Roach was coming into her life when trust was all but extinct. His smell struck Zoe as she shook his hand, a combination of old wood and mouldy basement. She was certain that this was not an impression that he wished to give off to anyone. Ah, uh, okay then. Zoe. Dr. Roach was clearly trying to digest addressing her informally so early. I guess you can call me Jason then, he said, trying to return the smile. Dr. Reed watched Jason fumble awkwardly with his briefcase, trying to retrieve its contents. Dr. Reed could not help but let his eyes roll as he watched, because he knew Jason well enough to know that he got this awkward around women he found attractive, 
Zoe, on the other hand, just watched with curiosity and a tad of unrest. Dr. Reed cleared his throat as if to distract from the spectacle that Jason was making of himself. <clears throat> you see, Zoe, I noticed well, was very curious about the writing that was found that morning around your room. And Dr. Roach, or um, Jason, is a specialist in... Dr. Marcus took a deep breath before he finished. In ancient languages. Zoe turned back to Jason as he had finally unlocked his briefcase and was lifting out the contents. Archaeology, really? But kind of a focus on ancient languages. He said, obviously relieved to be finished with the battle with his belongings. I was curious about a few things that I saw in the photos. Well, curious is not the right word, exactly. I would say more baffled and enthralled. <laughs> he said with an uncomfortable giggle. As Zoe observed Jason's manner and giggle, she did not know whether to react with disgust or fascination. I am, too, Zoe said flatly. Her unyielding stare had settled on Jason as he went over the stack of papers. Zoe could tell by his eyes that he detected her disapproval. The main reason I wanted to meet you was to ask you a few things about where you learned or where you saw the writing that you wrote around your room. Sympathy was not an emotion that Zoe wanted to feel at this moment, but it was clear that Jason was so far out of his element that he was sweating and probably would prefer to run away from here and go back to his musty basement with his books. Whatever interpersonal communications that Jason and Dr. Reed had with each other to bring them to this point barely mattered to her anymore as she continued to try to concentrate on the information being given to her. She asked Jason to repeat himself as her thoughts were beginning to cloud over. Wait, please, can you ask that again? She said. The writing you made on the walls, please, Zoe. Can you tell me where you saw it? The desperate quality of his voice was still there. Why? She asked in reply. Why do you care? It's just me being sick in the head. No, Zoe, please, I am being serious. So am I, she said, raising her voice much to the doctor's surprise. Dr. Reed then spoke softly to Jason. It is possible that she doesn't remember where she saw it, Jason. Jason was about to speak when Zoe did so first in a quite uncharacteristically dark tone. What the fuck did I write, you fucking nimrods? Jason looked her in the eye. You are writing in a language that is at least 200 years old, Zoe. Maybe even older. And I need to know where you saw it. Chapter 9. Old School Months had passed and things had been signed off and regulated. But through Dr. Reed, the confusion had deepened. There was talk about these 200-year-old prehistoric ruins in South Africa, monoliths from the earliest humans known to modern science. Jason, according to Dr. Reed, had been studying petroglyphs that were even older than the ruins found in Africa that were scattered all over the world, from South America to the Himalayas. There were even some theories about writing from Antarctica and remote Pacific Island that were still being looked into, but Jason believed that they were legitimate. What had perplexed Jason so much was that what Zoe had scrawled on the surfaces throughout her room had corresponded almost exactly to Jason's findings. Some of the phrases and sequences had actually been matched verbatim. 
Jason had only been able to actually translate less than 1% of what he found, and that just by blind luck of being able to match patterns of other languages over the millennia. Some unexplained holes and jumps in the linear record had made Jason's findings all but rejected by the academic community. Zoe lived in a group home now, in a town that was mere minutes from where she was living before all of this had started months ago. Her housemates and social workers were nice enough, and a few companionships that were light and distracting were sufficient to make the time pass. There was an arrangement made for her to get a job during the day. It was with great reluctance that she had to accept her position as Jason's assistant at the university. Her reluctance was, of course, useless when it came to someone in Zoe's position. Dr. Reed and Jason had moved along this process quickly. It was apparent to Zoe that the reasons for this rush were more than just a curious archaeologist and his psychiatrist friend. Jason picked her up out front of the old building that served as a halfway house. He drove an old-style VW Beetle that was rusted around the seams. The fact that Jason drove a car like this, being an archaeologist and an unrepentant geek, was almost too cliché for Zoe to handle. She sighed deeply and moved down the walkway to his car. This was the first day they were going to try this little experiment or academic venture that Jason and Dr. Reed had thought up. Jason had set up a temporary office in town, where he had relocated most of his materials relating to the language and the uber-ancient project that he had been working on. The thought that Zoe, after spending enough time looking through and being exposed to Jason's research, would accomplish two things. Perhaps helping Zoe in a therapeutic sense, but mainly, if she could remember where she came across the symbols and writing she had scrolled down, it would greatly assist Jason in his research. Zoe did not mind being used, although the culture had stigma against the concept. To be used to Zoe meant that she was being useful, and as long as she was not getting hurt or lied to, there really was no downside that she could see. In her current state of being a mental patient, being useful was not a bad thing, and she had not felt of much use to anyone, especially herself, in months. She wished, however, that the context was different that she was more of a person contributing to something rather than just a thing to be studied. Outside of all of this, Zoe was simply looking forward to being outside more, being able to take a walk again without so much of her strange experiences walking behind her like a shadow. She also was realistic enough to know that this was most likely a pipe dream. The smell of old books, musty objects, and subterranean dust struck Zoe as she followed Jason through the door of his office. He had only been set up in this location for a few weeks, and the distinctive odour of him and his research had already taken over. He had a pet lizard that he named Boris that shared his desk in his small aquarium. Boris had been his constant companion for about three years now. Jason showed her where the bathroom was, as well as the vending machines, plus any of the other amenities that she could want. She had to sign several pieces of paperwork that acknowledged she was in his custody during these hours of the day and that she had been explained the circumstances of her working with him, etc. Jason did act genuinely annoyed that she was going through all these hoops and perhaps a bit guilty about his role as a guardian in all this. I don't know what the problem is, Zoe, but I don't think insanity is the cause of it, but maybe an unwelcome side effect. He said as he showed her where her desk was and 
pointed out his now deceased brother's dog tag. Jason had explained that his brother Graham, a marine, had died in the line of duty. You mean that you don't think I'm crazy? But that something is driving me crazy? She said with a grin. Yes, that's it. He said enthusiastically while turning on the power to his several machines and computer. It was the nicest thing anyone had said to her in quite a while because she believed that he actually meant it. After about a week or two, she no longer minded the smell. In fact, the damp mustiness of the office came to represent a sort of freedom. She would get picked up by Jason at the same time almost every day and work with him for about six hours, and then he would have a meal with her and then take her back to the group home. The first few days were mainly spent cataloging some of the photos and findings he had, and more or less acting as a lab assistant. Jason was a little disappointed when she did not notice or remember anything immediately and exclaimed with excitement that she had uncovered all the secrets he had been after in his career. Over one of the early meals, Jason asked her, Zoe, do you think what you saw and experienced before coming here was real? That is, the extraordinary things that you went through. It was clear that the way he was asking the question was cautious, as he did not want to contextualize her opinion in any way. As real as anything else I've experienced, she said, looking down at her plate of fried shrimp. As she took a sip of her water, she then looked up at Jason, their eyes meeting and exchanging a moment of unspoken intensity, an event that neither of them could really put into words or meaning, and that neither spoke about. The moment broke when Zoe continued. Look, Jason, I'm not going to start some kind of debate with you about how I define the nature of reality, although that kind of thing sounds like something my friend Carrot would like to do over vodka someday. She paused to use her napkin. But I guess I look at it this way. The only reason this is even a question to most people is because what I saw and what happened was so out of the ordinary that most people think it must be some form of illness or overreactive imagination. What I mean is, what if, like, a half of everyone else's day was filled with stuff that no one else saw happen, but it was all so mundane that no one really cared? Jason was clearly interested as he watched her speak with a fascinated smile. Go on, please, he said. Zoe was made a tad uncomfortable for a moment by his gaze on her as she spoke, uncomfortable and a bit flattered. Well, let's say that some average Joe is standing at the bus stop and traffic is going by. So Joe sees a red car, a yellow car, a white truck, and a blue minivan go by, right? Jason nodded. Well, what if that white truck wasn't really there? I mean, only Joe could see it, but it just whizzed on by never being noticed because it really wasn't that interesting. And what if a whole bunch of this stuff happens every day to people? People think they hear their phone ringing when no one else can. Or they think they taste something funny in their food. Or think that girl is hitting on them when she isn't. She cleared the lock of hair from her eyes that had fallen in front of her face. So what if all this stuff is happening to everyone all the time, and what is real is simply what most people agree on or don't ignore? Jason smiled a bit. Yes. I have heard this argument before, but do you think that applies here? I don't know. Maybe? There was a pause again while they both took drinks of their beverages. 
But the whole point is that nobody really knows, right? Back around the time of the Salem witch trials, everyone was swearing up and down that they saw witches flying around on broomsticks in the night. And that was sort of agreed upon at the time as truth or fact. But now, we can look back and say that they were all just scared and ignorant. And it was all the bullshit from the culture that made them think they saw these crazy chicks flying around with household cleaning tools between their thighs. Jason's eyes turned upward as if picturing it and he smirked. Yeah, then we have the modern equivalent with all the UFO sightings that are all happening so often that a lot of people insist that since so many people have seen them, that it's proof that they are real, just like witches in Salem. There was a moment where they both were chewing and finishing their meals before Zoe spoke. So I guess it's just as real to me as those other people. I mean, Patrick. Her voice trailed off and her eyes reflected the sadness of a real loss. He was real. Her voice a bit choked from attempting not to cry. I am sorry, Zoe. Jason spoke with care. He was not a people person at all and therefore was most likely saying whatever it was he thought was the right thing to say given the situation. I didn't mean to imply that Patrick wasn't, he said looking ashamed. I mean, I know you cared about him. Zoe looked at Patrick, unable to think of how to react. On the one hand, he was the scientist who brought her into his life for the purpose of studying and trying to milk information. On the other hand, she was the first person since this whole ordeal had begun who had acknowledged that her memories and feelings for Patrick were genuine, and not some illness or imagination overflow. She changed the subject. Does it really matter to you or anyone whether or not it's real, anyway? His answer surprised her as he stood up to pay the check. Well, of course it's all real. I never really doubted for that moment I saw you. I am more interested in what kind of real you saw. Something happened, you see, that is real, or else how would all these symbols and writings come to you? I am a bit foggy on how it's real, not if it's real. Our next chapter is chapter 10, Sticks and Stones. Zoe looked up from her book. She had been reading a book about mound-building societies in Ohio. Good book? Yeah, actually, she said. Cool stuff, he said with a childlike enthusiasm. No one really knows what happened to them either. A huge trade system that just kind of went away. He said with a hand gesture, like a bubble, popping. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing here, you know. All these missing pieces of the puzzle. His eyes were distant as he spoke. All of these missing pieces. She looked at him with an understanding. Kind of like my missing pieces, she said. That glance that they had exchanged in their small time together was held a little longer. The concept of lost civilization was nothing new to most people who had grown up in a culture of comic books and Indiana Jones. But lost in the way that Jason was looking for was unique. All of these small fragments of artifacts and architecture that showed huge amounts of culture and development that were simply missing. It was as though there were only crumbs left of an enormous feast, and the crumbs showed just enough to illustrate how amazing the feast must have been. Other people in his field saw them as interesting anomalies, but paid no actual heed to them in any true sense. Jason recalled that several of his colleagues would often react to his findings with frustration and then dismissal, saying phrases like, 
Oh, well, I guess it's just one of those things. Jason put the stone down in front of Zoe. We need to talk about this now, I think. Zoe's eyes observed the smooth stone that had come to represent her so-called madness. It weighed five ounces and was glossy and inviting as ever. What about it? She said, her teeth grinding around her words. Several cultures from all around the earth have used stones of various types for the purpose of meditation. And that stone of yours that has been very, uh, present in your account clearly resembles them. The smooth surfaces and the cool touch and all. Were the stones handed to these priests and shamans by the guy they were dating who stopped existing too? He smiled warmly and kept speaking. These visions? Zoe noted in her mind that he was not calling it hallucinations like most other doctors and other people she had spoken with, including her own mother. Jason was not overly prone to fantasy either. He would not be a person to dismiss all logic, but as a scientist who was often dismissed by other scientists for having too many unacceptable theories, he was keeping his mind very open. Many of them have come to you in the presence of this stone, and I realize that several have not as well. I was wondering what you think about it. What I think about it. She repeated slowly, making sure the frustration of his question became apparent. He did not take the bait, but stood by his question, waiting for an answer. The sound of one of Jason's many clocks chiming broke the silence. Well, I think something has been trying to contact me, and this stone has something to do with it. She put it out there very plainly at last. The chiming from the clock stopped, and she took a deep breath. Something had changed. She trusted him now, and it felt good. She looked up at him with watering eyes, waiting for his reaction. He smiled back at her and offered a friendly hand, which she accepted quickly. Good. He said softly, I think we can finally get some real work done. And we'll stop here at chapter 11, The Burden of It. Well, listeners, it looks like Zoe's back on the path to discovering safely what the road ahead looks like for her. And this time, with a helping hand, a sort of guardian into the unknown. Having seen Patrick disappear, I wonder if Dr. Roach will do the same. We'll find out nonetheless as this story progresses and what Fee Stringer has in store for us. Mates, thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have any spare time up your sleeves, swing on by my iTunes page and leave a review. For those of you who are already doing that, thank you immensely. Your reviews really go a long way. Now, I want to thank the legends, my Patreons, who have helped support me in obtaining new software. And, you know how I said that I'd wait in case there were any specials? Turns out I was right. I've managed to score 10% off and the next version up for the same price. I don't ever waste money, and I certainly don't waste your donations. So I thought I'd share that little win with you guys. So first up, I'll be thanking Majestic Maya for being awesome and supporting me at the Ode Night Tea Titan tier. <laughs> Tongue twister. The highest tier possible, which opens doors like this for new software and new tools to kick more butt. And at this tier, Maya, you've really sped up that process. Thank you so, so much. Because of you, in a couple of months, I was able to save and grab this great deal. Thanks, mate. You are amazing. My white tea warlord, Leza, my mate Bauer. Matey, thank you for being awesome, as always. 
I'm waiting on my new set of audio and music to come in, and with your support, I'm able to actually afford this, not to mention paying for subscription costs relating to Adobe Photoshop that I can get covered after your support for a couple of months. You're a legend, and never forget it, mate. My second white tea warlord, because yes, I'm lucky to have two, Pageo Awesomeo. Thank you, Paige, for being you. You know, your awesome self. I'll be putting your donations straight into a new plugin that lets me take snapshots in Photoshop and turn them into 3D objects. I'm thinking of using these in my upcoming true crime series and I can't wait to test it out before I think of using it. Just wanted to say thank you so much for your support, Paige, and you'll be hearing from me this weekend or the next, mate. Thank you as always, Paige. And my old grain forces, the peeps that are my lightning in a bottle. I'm lucky to have just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo, Yacone, Divided by Zero, and Leah Fasig. Thank you so, so much for supporting me, my Patreon supporters. And if you think you can send a cup of tea my way a month, you can do so by visiting my Patreon page and donating there. I keep this show advert-free, so every donation goes a long way. I'll catch you Friday, you amazing people, and thanks for listening. As always, mates, till next we meet.